have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Mark uh, chapter 13 again, Mark chapter 13. And this morning our passage is going to be uh, verses 24 and 27, 24 through 27 of Mark chapter 13. Um, if any of you have ever flown, uh, you've probably had to experience a layover. Um, the layover is, uh, it's, well they call it a layover because airlines thought passenger purgatory wasn't that great, so they wouldn't call it that. But that's essentially what it is. You have this final destination that you're going to, this final place, but airlines figured out that somehow or another they could make more money off of us if they landed us in a faraway place and took us out of the way somewhere before they brought us to the place where we wanted to go. I don't know how they make money off of us this way, Uh, but that middle place that you get to is the layover, so you have to You have to land and get out and then get onto another plane and then fly to your final destination. Well, uh, in thinking about Mark chapter 13, uh, last week was kind of like the layover. Um, we We were shown at the very beginning of Mark 13 about all of the events that were going to happen prior to the destruction of the temple. And that was like taking off on the first plane. And then we landed... At the destruction of the temple last week. And so we had a layover as we landed and talking about, as Jesus explained, what the events surrounding the destruction of the temple in AD 70 were going to be like. And now starting in this section, it's like we're taking off again. We're we're going to our final destination. And this fits neatly for us because Jesus in this last section of Mark 13 is going to be talking about his people's final destination where we are going to end up. And so we see those three sections in Mark 13, and we're beginning the final section today here in 24 uh, through 27. Now, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, finally, we're going to be talking about all of the end time stuff I've been promising promising you we're going to be talking about. So all of the end times, eschatology, all of the last days sorts of stuff, we're going to begin to talk about those things starting today. Uh, And as you might imagine, there is a lot of disagreement all throughout Christianity about what those last days will be like. Uh, There are certain things, though, uh, that even though there's a lot of disagreement, uh, there are certain things that we all have to believe as Christians. And the main thing is we all believe that Jesus will return for his people. Now, we don't know... um, all the specifics of what that return will look like. I have some ideas about what it's going to be like, but we know for sure that Jesus is coming back for his people. And we see that here in this passage. Let me read this for us, verses 24 through 27 of Mark chapter 13, and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. So Mark 13, 24 through 27. But in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let me pray and ask for his help in understanding this word. Father, we thank you for giving us this, your good and perfect word that gives light and life to your people. And we pray that it would encourage us 
even as it encouraged your people in Rome under persecution nearly 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you for giving us again this word, and we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So this morning I want to look at this passage in three ways. Uh, First of all, in 24 and 25, we're going to see heavenly signs of the coming uh, of the end. Secondly, in verse 26, we're going to see the heavenly sun. And then thirdly, in 27, the heavenly sending. So the signs, the sun, and the sending this morning. 24 and 25, let's look at these verses first. Jesus begins in 24 and 25 by giving us some, some time markers. Okay? And this is how we know that the things that came before it are separated from the things that come after it. He's talking about two separate times. There are some people that read this and say the events of verses 14 through 23 all go together with this. But clearly in 24, Jesus says, but in those days after that tribulation. So these are two separate events that he's talking about. And they're they're separated here. Uh, what I said last week was that the events that came before it were the um, tribulation surrounding the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. And now Jesus is moving on to the final destination, the last days, a different tribulation that is, or, or a different time that is coming. He says, after that tribulation. So that's what we see. Now, what do we see in these verses? Uh, this is incredible stuff that Jesus says. In verse 24, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So Jesus says, after AD 70, at another time, there's going to be some cosmic upheaval that is happening. So we want to deal with this cosmic upheaval upheaval with these signs in the cosmos. Now there are two ways for us to interpret this. We can either take these this literally or we can take it figuratively. We can either see this and say that the sun is going to be literally darkened, that the moon will literally not reflect the light of the sun, and that the stars will literally fall from the sky. Have any of you ever seen a falling star before? Have you ever seen that? You shake your head, yes, most of you. No, you have not. None of you have ever seen a literal falling star, a star fall from its location. We've seen little dust particles coming through the atmosphere. We call that a falling star, but it's not a falling star. But Jesus says all of these things, these signs in the cosmos are going to be there. And we have to, we have to decide, are we going to interpret this literally or figuratively? Will, at the, in the last days, the sun literally be darkened and all of these things, will that, that happen? Um, if, now, if we interpret that literally, um, then those are the things that we're going to be looking for. Um, and there are people that are literalists that take this literally, that say, if you do not interpret this literally, then you're not taking the Bible seriously. Then you're not taking the Bible at its own on its own terms and what it says, and you're opening up the Bible for criticism and for uh, various uh, ways to attack it. Now, there are other people, and I'll use, I think I coined this term, figurativist, um, who take this figuratively that say that the sun won't actually be darkened, that the moon is not actually going to stop giving its light and the stars won't actually fall from the sky, but we interpret this symbolically or figuratively. 
Um, and the figurativist will often say about the literalist that if you interpret it literally, then you're not uh, taking the Bible at its own words, you're not reading it in context, and you're misunderstanding the point of the passage. Well, uh, let me give you my interpretation of this. I take this passage in a figuratively literal way, okay? <laughs> um, I, I've been using this phrase a lot. I like my cake and I like to eat it too. I think we can do that again in this passage. We don't have to say one thing or another. We can, we can believe that this is symbolic and also literal, meaning this, that something amazing and incredible is going to happen in the cosmos. There will be earth-shattering events that take place. But they may not be exactly literal in this sense. Now let me explain why I take it that way. Um, This is a quote from three places in the Old Testament. Um, And if you have a good Bible, you'll have those, it'll have it in italics, and we'll point you back to those three places uh, in the Old Testament. Mine doesn't do that. I have a bad Bible. But these are actually three, these are quotes from three places. The first place is Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. You can write it down and go look at it later. Isaiah 13, 10. Isaiah 34, verse 4, and then Joel 2, verse 10. So three places where these exact words that Jesus says are found in the Old Testament. Now, why do I take this figuratively, this language figuratively? Because in the Old Testament, when Isaiah says this in Isaiah 13, he's talking about the fall of Babylon. And then in Isaiah 34, he's talking about the fall of the nations after the fall of Babylon. And in those two chapters, we're actually told that those things happened. That surrounding the fall of Babylon, that the sun and the moon were darkened and and they didn't give their lights and the stars fell from heavens and all of those things, we're actually told that those things happened in 536 B.C. In Isaiah chapter 13, verse 17, God says, I'm going to use the Medes and the Persians to blot out the sun, to make the stars fall from the sky. Now, if you go back in history and you say, well, well, if, if God says that those things will happen surrounding the fall of Babylon, did the sun actually get darkened? Did the moon stop giving its light? Did stars fall from the sky? Did they see those things happening? Well, no, they did not. They happened in a figurative sense, meaning that they happened symbolically because great powers, great kingdoms lost their light. That happened with Babylon. That also happened with the other nations after the fall of Babylon. And what I think is happening here is that even though it didn't literally happen in the Old Testament time, that Jesus is saying that when one kingdom overtakes another kingdom, it's like the sun stops giving its light. It's like the moon stops shining and like the cosmic, the cosmos itself is being overtaken. And that's what I think is happening here. Because what Jesus is saying is that it's not that one nation will take over a nation, but that his kingdom is going to overtake the kingdom of darkness. That after the tribulation of AD 70 with the fall of the temple... That his kingdom will go on the march. And what's going to happen is in the cosmos, in the world that God created, his kingdom will will overcome all of the kingdoms of the world and will overcome 
the kingdom of Satan itself. And that's literally what has been happening for the last 2,000 years. That since the ascension of Christ, we have seen Christianity and the kingdom of God go on the march all over the world. Everywhere that Christians go, the gospel goes forth. And the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. So I take this literally meaning that this has been happening. That his kingdom has been eclipsing the kingdoms of the world. And we've seen this again throughout history. Hasn't one, every, every nation that has ever been in existence has fallen or will fall. Every nation that has ever been in existence. You know, in the days of Isaiah, people thought that the Babylonian Empire would never be destroyed. And God laughs at that. He goes, no, a smaller nation, the Medes and the Persians are going to take it over. And then after that, the Medes and the Persians, you know what? The Romans are going to, or the Greeks are going to take over the Medes and the Persians. And then after that, you know what? The Greeks, the, the, the richest, the wealthiest, the smartest people, the Romans The Romans are going to take after that. And then where's the Roman Empire today? It's been overtaken. And there's all these nations that now are in the place where the Roman Empire was. But but where is Christ in his kingdom? It's all over the place. The only kingdom that will not be shaken is Christ and his kingdom. So I take this figuratively. I don't think that the sun will actually be darkened. But I do think that symbolically or figuratively... That Christ has been doing this for the last 2,000 years. Now, I haven't answered all of your questions. I haven't addressed every issue that you have. We only have maybe 13 more minutes. (laughs) If I'm lucky for you to be paying attention to me. If you want more resources about this, I'd love to give them to you. There's a great pastor uh, named Bob Vincent uh, who has an entire 10 sermon series where he preaches for an hour. Uh, He deals with these things. I'd love to give you that information. If you need it, I'll give it to you. We're going to move on from there, though, and I want you to see the next two points because these next two things really drive home what we're to know here. In verse 26, um, we see the heavenly sun. So there are going to be these things happening in the cosmos. And then, verse 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Um, All right, so... There's something that's going to happen then. So is that while those things are going on, while those events are happening, or is it um, something else going on there? Uh, Let me just say this. Um, We know for sure that Jesus is going to return for his people. Um, And we're told here that Jesus will return in the clouds. Now, I don't know you, but even from the time I was real little, I used to hear that, that kind of imagery of Jesus returning on the clouds. And I, have one, I had one thing in my mind whenever I would think about that. And because I'm a child of the 80s, the one thing that I had in my mind was basically Jesus returning like he was in some kind of heavy metal hairband, riding with a guitar, like jamming out. And I hope this isn't irreverent, it probably is, but he was, this is the way that my childhood mind thought about it in the 80s, like it was an MTV you know, uh, music video or something. And he would be returning, just jamming out, and everybody would see it, and everybody would be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, Amy told me something that she imagined growing up. I'll let her tell you what that was. But all of us kind of have that, that thing in your mind about what this is going to look like. 
Well, let me just explain a little bit about what this is, that we are told that Jesus is going to return for his people. But what is this cloud? Is Jesus going to literally come back riding on a literal cloud? Well, probably not. And there's a reason for that. Uh, That word cloud is used all over the New Testament. But it's used in some very uh, specific places. The word cloud, it's the same word that's used of the glory cloud that enveloped Jesus and his disciples and Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it's the glory cloud. It's also in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven, we're told that a cloud overshadowed him and the disciples. And this is the exact word that is used in the Old Testament of the glory cloud that went in front of the Israelites by day to lead them in the wilderness. And it's the the same word that's used of the Shekinah glory of God coming in and taking over the temple and resting with his presence. So this isn't, whenever we hear the word cloud, it's not like the clouds that float up in sky. It's actually the glory of God. And what we're being told here is that Jesus will return in glory. And more than that, he's going to return in power and glory. And this is talking about his second coming. But let me ask you, in contrast, how did Jesus come the first time? Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples hearing this for the first time. No one knew who Jesus was. Well, very few people did. And think about his birth. Who was there for his birth? It was actually a very uh, um, small thing until the angels, the angels actually had to come and tell the shepherds, look, God has come. And they, they weren't going unless the angels showed up to tell them. Almost no one knew. And it was humble and it was quiet. In his first coming, Jesus came quietly. But in his second coming, what is it going to be like? He's coming in power and glory. And it won't be inauspicious. It won't be that no one notices. It will be so much so that everyone will see the power and the glory of God coming. This is the cosmic I told you so. You know the I told you so. If you're married, you know the I told you so probably better than you should. Because it's that thing where you are finally proven right. Well, think about the disciples here. Think about what they've been going through. They've been hearing about the tribulation and the trials that they're going to go through. And all of the people that will slam the door in their face. And all of the people that will take them out and beat them and persecute them. And think about the Romans hearing this for the first time. The Roman Christians who are having their families taken out of their homes and drug away. and, And beaten and crucified and persecuted and killed. And all of them are saying, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And Jesus is saying, there's coming a time when it will be evident to everyone that it is worth it. This is meant to encourage us to stand firm in Christ. You might be going through a suffering, a trial, some kind of difficulty right now, and Jesus is saying, it's hard right now, yes, but look to the final destination. Look to what is coming. You will be vindicated. Put your hope in Christ. So we see the heavenly son coming, then finally the heavenly sending in verse 27. 
And then he, that's Jesus or the Son of Man, will send the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And I want you to see here that Jesus is telling these these men and saying, look, he's already kind of indicated to them that they're going to be killed and martyred for the sake of Christ. And they're going to be saying, well, why should I go and be killed for Christ? Why should I suffer in that way? And he says, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to command my angels concerning you. Jesus cares for his people. In just a few verses, Jesus has called them his elect three times. The elect, the elect, the elect. Jesus says, then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from all over the earth. There are some people who think this is happening right now. That this has been happening for 2,000 years. And that the word angel, it's the same word for messenger. And the same word for send is the word apostle. He's sending his messenger apostles to gather the people. And they think that this is going on. But even if it's not something that's just that's been happening for 2,000 years, something that is going to happen at some moment in the future, you and I need to understand that Jesus commands his angels concerning the elect. And you need to understand that, that Jesus cares about you. So much so that the heavenly hosts that he is commanding concerning you and your well-being today. It's hard for us to see this as we go through the mundane things of life. There's this great part, uh, great story in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 where Elisha, where the Syrian king, is, he's been defeated, his army has been defeated, and he sends, uh, he's like, why, are we, why do we keep on dying? And, and one of his commanders says, well, because the man of God, Elisha, is praying for God's people. And so the, the Syrian king says, go take everybody that's left, go surround Elisha, bring him here, and we'll kill him to make sure we never, our armies won't be defeated. And so the armies, you know, tens of thousands of people surround Elisha, this poor little prophet's house. They surround his house. And Elisha has this servant, this, this guy, this helper with him. And the guy's like, he opens up the door and he peeks out and is surrounding them or the mountains. He goes, Elijah, what are we going to do? And you can just kind of see Elijah just kind of nonchalantly, you know, sipping his coffee going, that's nothing. You're like, what? The Syrian army is around us. And Elijah's like, there's more with us than with them. He says, don't worry about them. We have a bigger army. And the guy's opening the door going, there's nobody else here. And Elisha prays and says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And then in the mountains surrounding that large Syrian army is an army that can't be counted of the heavenly hosts that are there to defend Elisha. So in this, I want you to understand that because Christ is ours, he's our savior and our commander and our king, that he actually commands the angels concerning you And there are more with you today than is with them. Now I want you to to see this. I, I wish you could look out here and look out the windows and see the veil that is before us kind of parting. And whenever you walk out, I wish you could see the angels that are that have been commanded to protect us 
here today. Brothers and sisters, there are more with us than are with them. Are you not encouraged by this? And we're told here that Jesus sends his angels to gather his people. That's not the normal word for gather. It's to epigather. It's like, I, I don't know how to, how to say it other than like to really gather, to, to finish the work of gathering his people together. There's going to be a time where all things are accomplished, all things are finished, and all of God's people are going to be gathered together. And all things will be done on earth as they are in heaven. And Jesus is pointing his people to see that reality. I wonder if you've seen that reality, that there are more with us than are within. That if we are his elect, we are perfectly secure in Christ. And nothing, nothing will change that. That we actually have nothing to fear today. This momentary suffering, this trial, this tribulation, the things we go through right now are nothing compared to what's coming. Now, there's a calling in this very quickly. It's a calling for God's people to stop being so self-preserving. To stop depending upon your stuff or your bank account or your ability or your intellect. Stop trying to save yourself or to protect yourself. But go. Go be self-giving. Be loving of your neighbor's. Stop just holding up in your house and saying, this is all my stuff and nobody else can have it, but open your house to your friends and your neighbors. If your end is secure and nothing can take it away from you, then your today can be sacrificial. It can be sacrificial. So go and give yourself. In 2 Peter 1.10, Peter says, look, make your calling and election sure. Um, if you are the elect of Christ, if you, if you are his, then you have the rights of being the child of God, which means you have the right to assurance of salvation. And you have the right to be with Christ. And Peter says, make your calling and election sure. Stop doing the things that would take away from your assurance. It is yours by God's right. And if you're his, nothing can change that. I hope that your hope is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this good word today. We hope and pray that you can, that you will help us to understand that our, our end is secure, the final destination of your people. Uh, there's nothing that can change that. And I pray that you would give us the confidence to go out and to be self-giving and sacrificial. We thank you for all that is ours through Christ and his finished work. And we pray this in his name.